Coming up on this week's show, we've got Kit and John from Eastsiders here to talk about their Kickstarter campaign for Season 3. Plus, Ari McKay discusses their new book, Breaking Bonds. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 86 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. This week's episode is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help the uh, show in just a few minutes. Welcome to another episode. Hello, welcome. Yes. Good to be here. Uh, jam-packed episode this week. It is. We've it got is. Uh, a whole a whole lot of guesting going on. It's a cavalcade of guests. Yeah. So, uh, how was your week in general? In general, it was good. Cool. Yeah. How was yours? Fine. Fine. <laughs> it was a heck of an interview week for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to uh, give everyone a sneaky peek of who we spoke to? A sneaky peek? Well, it started on Monday, and we've known about this interview for oh, a few weeks now. Uh, but we talked to uh, New York Times bestselling author Suzanne Brockman, along with her husband, Ed Gaffney, and their son, Jason Gaffney, to talk about the California comedy series that comes out under the Suzanne Brockman Presents banner that Ed and Jason co-write. Uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never would have expected Suzanne Brockman to email us in the first place, right, to have them on the show. But they were such a delight to talk to. Uh, the interview went on way longer than I would have ever anticipated. So that'll actually be coming up June 19th and 26th in episodes 89 and 90. Mm-hmm. So a little sneak peek of the future. In the more near term, uh, on Friday, we got to talk to Kit Williamson and uh, John Hallback, who are the forces behind one of our favorite shows, Eastsiders. And that just kind of cropped up middle of the week because we'd been tweeting about the Kickstarter campaign. A little back and forth what happened on Twitter and it ended up and they recorded an interview with us on Friday. Mm-hmm. And you guys are going to get to hear that interview in just a few minutes. Yeah. Did you ever think 86 weeks ago when we started this that we would have had <laughs> this kind of an interview week? Uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> no, it's kind of uh, a little crazy, a little, a little bit weird. Uh, I was a little bit trepidatious about talking to um, Kit and John. I had some anxiety about that, talking to people that uh, you admire uh, and respect. Um, that was a sort of a, a big deal for me. I had a blast talking to Suzanne Brockman and her family, though. Um, I don't get stressed out by talking to authors. Talking to other famous folk stresses me out, but not authors. Usually because I've read their book and it's I can just say, oh my God, I love your book so much. And, <laughs> and that's not a big deal because, yeah, I'll do that to anybody. That's not a big deal at all. So, uh, But yeah, it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a, it was a good week from that, from that aspect for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of good weeks, we got good news this week from the organizers of the Readers and Writers for LGBT Chechens. Uh, we talked about that auction a couple weeks ago and we were pleased to hear that they collected just over $2,700 to go to uh, some charities that are helping uh, Chechenian men escape the country and, and get to safety. So that, that was really good news. Thank you to everybody who took the time to bid on some of those great uh, auction items that were up for bid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a wonderful fundraiser, and I'm really, really happy that they were so successful. Yes. Um, uh, a quick note, we don't have any new patrons to thank this week, so we'll instead thank our... Uh, I'm trying to think of a word other than old patrons are continuing patrons. Conti- that's a mu- yes, that's much better. <laughs> uh, uh, we would like to thank our continuing patrons for helping support the show. Now, uh, in case you haven't heard, uh, if this is your first time tuning in, you can help support okay. the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the costs of producing and distributing the podcast. Um, the time that Jeff and I spend producing the show and and filming the show is uh, our our pleasure. We do it for free. Um, the the um, Patreon patronage 
uh, pays for all of the back-end stuff. Yeah, the, the hosting of the files, the website, the mm-hmm. mailing list, the, yeah. all, all that back-end gobbledygook that, <laughs> that he makes me deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that back-end magic that uh, I don't know anything about. So thank you to everyone who, uh, for the past couple of months, have been donating to our Patreon campaign. We genuinely appreciate you, and we couldn't be doing this without you. Now, for more details on how you can become a patron of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Well done. So I think we should let the good folks hear from Kit and John. Yeah, we mentioned the Kickstarter for season three a couple of episodes ago. Actually, it was I think it was just the last. Was episode. it just the last one? Time flies, doesn't it? Their campaign it is. <laughs> their campaign's just about at the halfway point now. It runs through June sixth. Uh, I looked when we interviewed them on Friday. They were at forty five thousand dollars. They had just kind of rolled over the forty five k mark, and I looked and they're if they're not at fifty, they're really close to fifty as we're recording this. This piece right now um, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So they're gunning for 60, but they have some epic stretch goals that our podcast audience needs to help them to meet. <laughs> yes. So they'll tell us all about that. Plus, they'll tell you about something that you can do over this coming week that'll put you in the running for a really groovy prize, too. Yeah, so let's check them out. We're excited to welcome Kit Williamson and John Hallback. Kit is the creator, writer, executive producer, director, and co-star of one of our very favorite shows, Eastsiders. John is also an executive producer and co-star. Together, they are also husbands. Eastsiders' first two seasons are available streaming on Netflix, and they are in the middle of production as well as a Kickstarter campaign for season three. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. So, for those of who in our audience have ignored us and haven't gotten on the Eastsiders bandwagon, tell us what the show's about and what its origins are. Sure. So it's a dark comedy about a gay couple in Silver Lake, the east side of Los Angeles. Uh, Tom and Cal, the gay couple, are really the heart of the show. And then as the years have gone by, more characters have entered the world and it's expanded a little bit. But at its heart, it's about Tom and Cal and their relationship. And we started the show back in 2012, uh, produced two episodes just independently while I was in grad school and put them on YouTube. And that attracted the attention of Logo, which is where we premiered the rest of the first season on their digital platform, broadcast it as a cable movie, uh, as a TV movie on the cable channel, and then came to DVD and video on demand through Wolf Video before season two hit Netflix last year. Uh, We were able to finance this show uh, entirely through crowdfunding. So both season one, season two, and now season three have been the result of Kickstarter campaigns. So it's definitely in the the viewer's hands as much as it is in ours, whether the show continues. And what's coming up in season three that you can maybe tease our audience with a little bit? Sure. Well, season two ends with Tom and Cal moving all the way east to New York City. And then there's a bit of a time jump and season three kicks off with them saying enough of this New York nonsense. Let's get back to California. Yeah, fuck this. We're going back to Los Angeles. (laughs) And Tom and out, set out to have the road trip of their lives and drive from New York to Los Angeles, hauling a vintage camper trailer from the 1960s behind them. We filmed in 16 states on the way. We actually did the road trip with a skeleton crew and did most of the interiors in Idaho where we shot for two weeks. So there are a lot of twists and turns and bumps on the road from uh, New York to Los Angeles for these characters. A lot of unexpected uh, surprises and dangers along the way. And they have to really assess kind of what they want their future to be um, as they look towards it on the road home. That kind of blows my mind that you would even want to attempt something like that. Um, I mean, why? What? I mean, I'm sure I've been watching some of the behind the scenes video and everything that you've shown so far looks freaking amazing. So I cannot wait. But um, undertaking this sounds like a monumental task. Well, we couldn't do everything that we did in season two again, which was, by the way, 
just as hard, if not harder, on our budget level, having a cast of 50-plus actors and, like, 75 locations in season two. Like, it's hard to nail down that many gay bars, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of scheduling that goes into that. Um, And we wanted to challenge ourselves in a different way with season three. And these four episodes that were kickstarting first really um, narrow in on Tom and Cal's relationship as the heart of the show. We also have a lot of great guest stars coming back, like Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat, and Willem is returning as well. Um, And a lot of familiar faces throughout the first two seasons are also making kind of a return to it. But structurally, it's a little different. And, uh, and so we just kind of replaced one set of challenges with an entirely different one. <laughs> we said that we would never do the road trip again, but it would be a lot easier to do it again, having done it once before. Yeah. We didn't have the luxury of doing a practice run. We really just had to throw caution to the wind and put all our stuff in a car and, and grab a film crew and go. So, How many days does it take fire. to get across the country for you? Like how many days is their road trip? Well, it turns out when you have uh, seven people on the road, that's a lot more bathroom breaks, a lot longer. <laughs> um, and also people are, uh, while we're shooting, that slows us down a lot too. So it ended up taking us um, seven days to get to Idaho from New York and then two days to get from Idaho to uh, Los Angeles. So that was nine days on the road together. It's actually faster than I thought it would be. That's not too bad. Uh I was curious, did you expect this kind of success when you were just doing this as a grad project in season one to get to a season three? Was it the hope? <laughs> Our goals were uh, were pretty simple when we started it. We wanted to make something cool and put it out there into the world. Certainly didn't foresee season one coming to Netflix. <laughs> um, didn't foresee getting a distribution deal with Wolf Video didn't foresee the two daytime Emmy nominations. Like these are things that were not at all in our heads when we first started making the show. We just wanted to make something that we'd want to watch. It was so long ago, Netflix didn't even have TV shows at the time. It wasn't yeah. even a thing. Right. So yeah, we just wanted to do something cool with our friends and frankly do some more work on camera. We yeah. <laughs> hadn't really done that much of that. We had just moved to Los Angeles. We were theater actors and wanted to get more experience. We're both Broadway babies, so we started out doing uh, Broadway shows when we were just like in our early 20s and off-Broadway and off-off-off-off-Broadway and you know, all roads lead to Los Angeles and film and television if you want to make a living. Right. So uh, that was kind of what led us here and then, you know, because... I'm stubborn. I got a playwriting MFA, so I was like <laughs> studying playwriting when we decided to do this, and um, it's really opened so many doors for both of us, and um, I think led directly to me working more in television and film, and and now writing for television. So um, I'm very grateful that we had this experience, but it's so greatly exceeded all of our expectations for it. It's been amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, as we're recording this on Friday afternoon three days before the podcast comes out, your Kickstarter campaign's at just under $45,000. And you're running through June 6th. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And your your goal is 60. Now, what are some of the goodies that you're offering to the folks? And what are some of your stretch goals? Because recently you've come up with stretch goals as well. Right, yeah. So if people want to get involved in the campaign, we're offering producer credits. You could come be on set with us. There's a cast and crew screening that'll be happening this summer. We're doing a cast and crew only dinner that Kickstarter backers can come to. And also digital downloads of the series at $35. And at $125, we're offering the East Siders fan pack, which is DVDs for all the seasons. So signed by uh, signed by me. So we're offering pretty much all kinds of things at all different levels uh, for people to get involved in. And even if you want to just give $5, we'll send you special backers-only updates and information about the show uh, before it comes out. And stretch goals. Oh, and stretch goals. we got some great stretch goals. Um, we uh, At $75,000, uh, we're going to be releasing two additional episodes that really spotlight 
Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat, her character's return to Silver Lake and the love triangle between Ian John's character and Brianna Brown's character, Hillary. And also an episode that really uh, highlights Stephen Guarino and Willem's character's relationship as their convertible breaks down uh, in the middle of the desert on the way to a drag gig in other <laughs> desert city. <laughs> and uh, at 80K, I'm going to be uh, releasing my uh, field notes, kind of my road diary from the, uh, from the shoot. And if we reach 100K, we're actually going to go into production on an Eastsiders Christmas special, which is something we've wanted to do for years now. I have a really great idea for it that I don't want to say too much about, um, but uh, let's just say it's it's a it's a family affair. <laughs> awesome. Okay, podcast listeners, we want that Christmas show. Oh so, yeah. So oh, yeah. cough up some money. <laughs> the campaign runs through June sixth, and we will definitely have a link in the show notes uh, to the to the Kickstarter page. Now we also heard from people that sharing helps just as much as giving, absolutely. and also that the money doesn't come out of your bank account until June sixth at nine p.m. I think the actual end of our campaign. Yeah. So if you're worried about not having enough to clear it right now, which you might next week, you can go ahead and pledge it right now, and that's really helpful to get our numbers up. And it doesn't come out of your bank account until later. Yeah. yeah. Now I understand you've got something special coming up this week in terms of getting special prizes, perhaps, into people's hands. That's right. Anybody who posts a picture and the links to eastsidersotheseries.com this week before the end of the campaign will be automatically entered to win an Eastsiders fan pack with three DVDs and VIP tickets to our Los Angeles premiere. So again, that's the hashtag MakeMoreEastsiders at eastsidersotheseries.com. Post a picture or write a little note, whatever you want to do, and you'll automatically be entered to win VIP tickets to the premiere and an Eastsiders fan pack, which is valued at $350 on the Eastsiders Kickstarter campaign. Awesome. Why is Kickstarter such a crucial tool for shows like Eastsiders to get made? Well, I would say um, my answer is twofold. I'll, I'll go with the negative first and then the positive. Um, the negative is that uh, network executives just don't have a lot of imagination when it comes to LGBT stories. And um, I've had numerous people tell me that the market was quote unquote oversaturated because of looking, which is canceled two years ago. And um, we don't get a gay show on the air except for like every five years. So while we might get some representation, having a show that's like really focused in on a deep dive on gay relationships, um, that's not something that I, I am waiting around for Hollywood to provide us anymore uh, I, I don't I think we might be waiting forever if we do that so that brings us to the good which is that if you want to see something you can make it happen through crowdfunding um, it's been really amazing to me to see kind of other LGBT stories and web series and uh, books and comic books and things that are, are financed through crowdfunding uh, we're a community that takes matters into our own hands, and I find that to be very powerful. Uh, I contribute to Kickstarters all the time and support LGBT filmmakers all the time because I want those stories told. I want our stories told. So that, to me, is like the most powerful thing about crowdfunding, uh, just from where I'm sitting as a gay man, um, that we don't have to uh, wait for approval from networks and studios to have our stories told. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. totally agree with that absolutely so what's your final pitch to get our listeners to to back <laughs> your kickstarter um what would you say john <laughs> uh the show is a labor of love i think it's really about love between all these people um we love all the people we make the show with and it's so cool that we've been making it for five years now and we're growing as people and these characters are growing and the relationships I think are really interesting and worth exploring and we love making it and we hope people love watching it. I would just say um, we are worth the risk because we've been doing this basically for free out of our living room for the last uh, five years and we won't let you down. We will bust our asses and we will commit to this project and to telling this story um, and to uh, 
you know, uh, making you proud. That's what I would say. Very cool. Well, Kit and John, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us. We wish you much luck on getting the Kickstarter done and season three done and hope you'll come back and talk about season three when it comes out. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'd love to. Whether you prefer to spend your summer vacation poolside, at the beach, or in the air-conditioned comfort of home, we've got the books that'll keep you turning pages all summer long. And now to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast Sweet Summer Fun Paperback Giveaway. We're giving you the chance to win four terrific books by two amazing authors. The prize pack includes paperback copies of Aiden's Journey and Sex, Love, and Video Games by C. Jane Elliott, as well as Dumb Jock and Trust Me by Jeff Erno. To enter, go to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com or visit the official giveaway page at BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash summer. If you can't get enough of stories filled with young love, self-discovery, and happily ever afters, then you're not going to want to miss out on this. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com slash summer before the rafflecopter ends on Sunday, June 11th. Now, this past week, uh, Twitter went a little crazy. Uh, trashing a particular remake that uh, aired. Um, we are talking, of course, about Dirty Dancing. The new Dirty Dancing remake uh, aired on television. Uh, we just watched it, and... It was not as bad as I thought it would be. In, I... all, honest, all, in all honesty, it was not as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, in fact, I actually kind of liked it. I liked it kind yeah, of a lot. There was there was a lot to like in it. I really liked uh, Katie Segal and her fever moment mm-hmm. in particular. I love that uh, uh, Dara Messing got to sing. I liked some of the revised stuff, more backstory and story on the parents. And well, that's the thing. What I appreciated about this, they really didn't mess with the general storyline of Dirty Dancing. All of the basics are still there. All of the stuff with Johnny and Baby, it's still there. What they did with the extended running time of this particular television movie is that they were able to um, uh, fill out the backstories of all the uh, supporting characters. In fact, uh, all of the family me- uh, members of Baby's family got their own story moments, which mm-hmm. I thought was really kind of awesome. Yeah, I liked... I liked how they tweaked Baby and, and Lisa's relationship, too, where they weren't so much. I wouldn't say they hated each other in the original, but they were they were more friendly in this remake, mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, and I liked seeing Lisa kind of not go with Robbie, but go with the band guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And solve, solve racism, as I saw somebody say <laughs> in one of their reviews, by having that. Mixed, uh, mixed relationship in 1963. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think they're they're trying. I didn't think I don't think they were trying to replace the original no. in any way, shape, or form. The, so uh, I like what they did a lot. The two things I didn't like: I did not like the 1975 wraparound. I didn't need that. I didn't want that for a lot of reasons, and I didn't really see the point for the the singing, the live singing. Um, I didn't, in, in many of those cases, I didn't mind it, but I didn't get the point too much either. I didn't mind it doing the musical in a musical way. Yeah, I, I hated I, the I hated the I, news. She's she's like the wind. That was awful. I thought it was pretty good. Um, last week, all of our superhero show, shows also finaled. Um, we briefly spoke about what we were looking forward to uh, in the finales. Uh, they all ended quite well. I was very very happy, and surprisingly enough. Uh, even though I have trashed it many, many times. I Dumpster was... fire, I think, is how you criticized <laughs> it last week. Maybe I may have said that. I was even happy with the finale of Arrow. Um, here's the thing. Um, although I have been very unhappy with the direction Arrow has taken the last couple of seasons, what I don't like about the show could be the exact thing that you would love about the show. We don't generally talk about stuff we hate. Generally not. Generally not. But please, whenever we talk about something that we don't like, um, that's in no way, shape, or form uh, sort of like a, a not recommendation. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say is that um, we've all got our own thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason why you can't love Arrow. 
as much as I don't like Arrow. <laughs> in fact, what I actually really, really loved about this season finale is they brought back every character from the past five seasons, all of the characters that were still alive. They brought them back for this one finale, and then they pulled a really wonderful soap opera stunt. That's a good. That's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> it reminded me of Dynasty's Moldavian Massacre, Indeed. which I believe actually happened at the finale of season five. Well, maybe. Don't quote us on that, but maybe. I believe it did. Anyway, if you haven't watched Arrow's finale, um, Oliver was safe while everyone else was in jeopardy. Uh, so it gives me a lot of hope that they can kind of wipe the slate clean and start over with reboot. some better ideas. Yeah, reboot. Yeah. That's good. So, a few weeks ago, in our like interview, interview of Palooza, we got to talk to the duo who make up Ari McKay, mm-hmm. which is one of our favorite writing duos or authors or however you want to categorize them. Uh, they have a brand new uh, Dreams Fun Desire that's just out this week on June 1st called Breaking Bonds. Which continues their... Mm, their Walker Brothers? Walker Boys yes. series, yes. And so we had a great time talking to them, so let's get to that. We're very excited to welcome Ari McKay to the podcast. Ari McKay is the professional pseudonym for Orion Rod and McKay, who have been writing together for over a decade. Their collaborations encompass a wide variety of romance genres, including contemporary fantasy, science fiction, gothic, and action-adventure. When not writing, they can often be found scheming over costume designs or binge-watching TV shows together. Orion Rod is a systems engineer by day, who is eagerly looking forward to hopefully becoming a full-time writer in the not-too-distant future, and McKay is an English teacher who has been writing for one reason or another most of her life. Welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Very excited to have you here. So I have to ask before we really get going, what what shows are you binge watching right now? Sense Eight. Yes, season two. <laughs> uh, we also finished up Leverage recently. Okay. So you've got two books, two new books that we want to talk about. Well, one's a re-release, and then one is a brand new one. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple weeks ago, you released the second edition of A Taste of Honey. Tell us about that book and what might be uh, new in its second edition. Well, there's not really much new in the second edition. Um, that book, I, we really, we really liked it. It was a very different, um, different thing for us because of the cross dressing that was in it. Um, as far as our, our published work, I think we only have one other story with a cross dresser. What do you think, McKay? That was uh, Kitten Caboodle. Was the other one that was in one of the Dream yes. Spinner anthologies? Yes. So, mm-hmm. um, actually, McKay wrote wrote Rob, who is the um, the cross dressing character in that, mm-hmm. and that was that was fun. It was the whole fake girlfriend kind of thing, where a, a guy who is nominally straight. I mean, he's not. He he's he's wondered about himself before, and he decides, you know, because he's going home to his uh, very controlling Southern mother that he needs to bring a girlfriend with him so that he doesn't get, you know, set up with every uh, single female around, which if you've ever had anything to do with Southern families, matchmaking is definitely part of the culture. So he brings his, his best friend just happens to be a drag performer, crossdresser, and he brings him home to meet mama <laughs> and things kind of proceed from there. And hilarious hijinks ensue, I'm sure, because I could just imagine the Southern reaction to, to the crossdresser when that finally gets revealed. I'm sure it does at some point oh. in the book. Oh, it does. Oh, yes. Uh, you want to speak to that, McKay? <laughs> um, I, just to say there is uh, moonshine involved. <laughs> over the course of the book um it's it yes it it does get uh, revealed uh there are hijinks um and um yeah that was uh, one of my favorites i really enjoyed writing that one because it was uh sort of light and 
sweet and romantic, uh, not a whole lot of angst. So it was just a really fun story to write. Cool. Now, A Taste of Honey was originally released a couple of years ago. What was it like mm -hmm. going back over uh, an older work for this new re-release? Well, I was actually kind of surprised at how well it still held up. Oh, good, um, good. Of course, going through the, the Dream Spinner editorial process is an experience in and of itself. Uh, it is rigorous. I, well, yes. Yes. <laughs> The comments about you know autonomous body parts. I, <laughs> exactly. I dread, yes. seeing, <laughs> I dread seeing that comment anymore. But um, I mean, I think that because the the editorial process was more rigorous on the second edition, that it did make it a better a better book, at least you know from a technical standpoint. I think the story was still solid, but now it reads a little better. Um, mm -hmm. So we. Uh, we're really excited about that. We were very excited that Dream Spinner did pick up a bunch of our works for um, re-release. So, and and some of those are getting uh, revamped quite a bit. Um, some of them we have looked back on and went, "Oh God, no," <laughs> and uh, have changed certain aspects considerably. Um, but I, I agree with with Ari that Honey held up pretty well. It was one of the ones that we we looked back on it and felt like uh, it was pretty solid and it didn't need uh, significant changing. But others that we have uh, resubmitted through Dream Spinner have gotten uh, a lot more reworking. We look back on them and we're like, no, 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 we got to change things. This is no. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I think I think it's always interesting to revisit a work after several years because the writing always evolves. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, last year, the tail end of 2016, the two of you released um, Striking Sparks, uh, <laughs> one of the uh, enjoyable stories that I've read in the Dreamspun Desire series. Um and I, and I reviewed it uh, a couple of months ago. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really I really like how Jake, the, the main character, um, had a lot of stuff to work through other than just, you know, the romance. I think the story uh, dealt with his situation. Jake has to come home to his small town uh, and kind of take over the family business when his brother dies. Uh, so he has, I don't think he feels stuck necessarily, but he does feel obligated to take care of the family restaurant. Then there is his sister-in-law who's pregnant. And so he's got a, a lot of stuff on his plate. Uh, plus he has to deal with, you know, cooking on a reality TV competition. <laughs> um, so I really, uh, I really like the, the depth of the characters between Jake and, and Bo and the, the romance and um, the, the sort of realistic stuff that they, they had to deal with in order to get to their happily ever after. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. We enjoyed that one a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was probably a little, well, there was more angst than we normally put in one of our books just because Jake did have so much that he had to work through. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that was one reason why we had to make it kind of a, not an established relationship, but at least they knew each other, they had a history. Because trying to, especially in the length of the dream spun desires, trying to work in, you know, a brand new relationship with a whole lot of angst on either one side or the other is a little difficult. So I think we gave them enough to work through and at least Jake was willing to work through it. That's I think one of the, the differences too was that he wasn't, he wasn't looking to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. He was looking to be happy and he did, you know, have this attraction to Bo. So it wasn't as hard to, to get through it in the, you know, the length that is expected as, you know, it might've been otherwise. Right. 
And uh, for people who might not know, uh, the Dream Spend Desires line, they want you to shoot for between 50 and 60,000 words. Like 60,000 words is the hard max. So you are uh, somewhat constrained. You know, you have to balance what you can put in. And like Ari was saying, you know, you, you couldn't have too much on Jake's plate and you certainly couldn't have anything on Bo's plate because it would just be too much and you would have too much to work through in the time constraints. So usually when we have a one, one character who has a fair amount of angst, then the other one is not, you know, they're, they're like Bo that, you know, they're kind of settled and, they can be the more um, stable, calming, helpful, comforting, whatever presence, rather than adding to it and compounding the angst. Mm-hmm. And talking about that book is a great segue to the other book you've got coming out, because on Thursday this week, on June 1st, you have another Dreamspun coming out, and this one is Breaking Bonds, which Ari is holding up right here. Uh, it's the second of the Walker Boys series. So what's up this time out? Oh, this this one is one of my absolute favorites, I think, that we've ever written. I had so <laughs> much fun with it. Um, so this time, uh, it's one of Bo's cousins. It's Liam Walker. And he left Texas and went to New York because he was going to make his you know, make his mark in the culinary world, you know, in the most difficult place in the world to make your mark in the culinary world. And he, uh, so he's, he's worked his way up through culinary school and he's, you know, been a sous chef in a bunch of different restaurants. And then he gets discovered by a celebrity chef who then makes him the executive chef at one of his premier restaurants. And the, Bo's got a bit of a temper, like most of the Walkers. Uh, that's kind of a Liam. Know, the theme through. I'm sorry, you're right. Liam has a temper, like most of the Walkers do, and he slugs a critic uh, at a charity fundraiser. Oops. Who <laughs> some unkind things about his ability, and so he has to. He's told by his his mentor to you know, take a break, take some space. You know, go on vacation. You've not had a vacation in a decade, basically. So just go away and don't even think about cooking. So he goes away and he goes to a resort in North Carolina. And the first thing he does is Which think cooking. Is, <laughs> yes. And that's where he meets my character, uh, Carter. Who um, And the really nice thing about this book is that it is set in uh, a town that is real, um, the town Buffalo Lick in Texas was fictional, but Maggie Valley is absolutely real. It's this tiny little resort town in Western North Carolina. Um, it's right there nestled in, as the name suggests, a valley. And um, they get a lot of um, skiers in the winter. They get bikers year round. Um, and I, I love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful little town in a beautiful part of, of North Carolina. And just a little fun fact for uh, your viewers. Ari, hold up the cover again, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the bat, the, this is Carter on the cover. And what he is standing front, in front of is actually a real place in the real world. And it's mentioned, uh, uh, Liam and Carter go there in the book, uh, called Klingman's Dome. And so the background image on the cover is actually a view from the top of Klingman's Dome in Western North Carolina. Oh, wow. I was drug off to that place as a child. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been there, but my view is not that good. But in this one, my character is the one who has the angst because he, um, he has a very overbearing father who is this type A personality um and wants carter carter to follow in the family business um and he's also not he and his his mother both not happy that carter is gay and so they have trouble accepting him on multiple levels and uh that's kind of where the the title came from breaking bonds that in order to be his authentic self and to live the life that he wants 
Carter has to learn how to break free of the bonds that are trying to hold him back. And so that's part of the journey that he goes on with Liam is breaking those, those bonds that are holding him down and preventing him from being happy. And there's a whole realization. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I can't wait for this to end up in our mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's actually kind of an interesting, you know, echo in it in that, you know, at, at some point, you know, Liam thinks that he's, you know, footloose and fancy free other than his own because his family supports him. You know, he's out with his family. He's got a cousin who's gay. So they're, you know, his his family knows and he's been allowed to follow his dreams. But then he finds out he's actually got bonds that he has to break away from in order to be with Carter because, you know, he's tied himself into this career path that, you know, he thinks that's what he wants and it's been something he's been working for and you know but then he has this mentor that he feels like he owes you know a great deal to for giving him a chance and then his mentor starts putting pressure on him to come back to New York so you know both of them realize that they have a lot in common about you know people wanting things from them that they're not really prepared to give mm-hmm. So, like I said, I was, I love this book. I, I guess it is a really good to say, it's your own book, but. How many more Walker Boys stories do you have in you? Well, right now we have one that um, is in the pipeline. It's called Seeking Solace. And it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> this one actually, I don't know, should we, should we give them a hint, McKay, or? Ooh, yeah, exclusive hints. We don't. We're not contracted, so we don't want to talk uh, too much okay. about it. But I think probably the hint is a cruise ship. Yes. Ooh, <laughs> nice. The Walker in this one. Uh, the The running theme is that the Walker boy is related to the culinary world in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jake had the um, the pantry. Uh, Liam, of course, is a, an executive chef, and uh, this walker starts out as a as a bartender on a cruise ship. But he has goals. He wants to be, you know, in the kitchen. So let, let's jump back to your origin story. How did you two get together and start your collaboration? Uh, fandom. Yes. Um, we were both, you know, we're both geeks. Uh, from <laughs> Way, way back. You know, I I saw Star Wars in the theater, you know, when it was originally released. Um, and George Lucas had my soul from that point on. And I had a, a family friend who um, nurtured me by giving me Tolkien and McCaffrey and Bradbury. Um, she was like, constantly, she was like an enabler. It's like, here, I think you might like this. And sliding me a book. And she was always right. So... You know, as we got, as I got older, um, I started branching out and fantasy, science fiction, horror, and all of that. And then the internet happened, um, and I found out about, you know, fandom online. I had been kind of involved in fandom offline, um, but then, you know, I found out this this amazing thing called fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> and that's how we, we ended up in the same fandom, writing about the same ship. And we liked each we kind of liked each other's stories from afar. Like, yep. ooh, that's a good one. Ooh. And then we ended up writing together. And you know, we've been writing together ever since. It's, so. It was it was very interesting because um, yeah, I, re- I actually remember the first of McKay's stories I ever read. <laughs> and um, you know, it I think we 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 like the same kind of, of things. We have the same hot buttons as far as, mm-hmm. you know, the, let me tell you every single time we find a television show <laughs> that has a uh, tall, thin guy with long, dark hair and a big nose. Oh, we are there. <laughs> we, we both, and snarky uh, badasses. Snarky <laughs> badasses are definitely the, uh, definitely one of the things that we both really like. So yeah. Um, yeah, we like a lot of the same uh, 
character archetypes, the same kind of tropes, the same type of relationship dynamics. And so our tastes dovetail really well, both as readers and writers. And I think that's, uh, I think that's been the key to our sustainability. You know, um, we're very alike in personality, um, in what we like, and um, offline as well as, as online. So we, we mesh well on a lot of different levels. And that, I think, comes across in our writing. Um, what was the initial spark that moved you from fan fiction into your own original work? Oh. Uh, well, the author of our, our, uh, our fiction verse killed our ship. I mean, sank it big time. Killed both characters. So... Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, we had started actually when we saw the, the there, there were signs that the ship was sinking um, and that she had, you know, bad plans for, for, well, bad by our opinion for our characters since she wasn't going to get them together. And um, we had started writing um, alternative universe. Mm -hmm. um, so using the characters and using their personalities, but totally different setups. Like um, one of, one of the more, the stories that I'm more famous for in, in our ship is an ice skating. <laughs> Before Yuri on ice, I actually wrote, <laughs> wrote, a, uh, wrote an ice skating story. This was back in, oh lordy, 2004, I think, or mm -hmm. 2005, something like that. Um, and so we, we realized that we were writing original fiction just using these characters. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. basically all we were writing was original fiction with these characters. And it was like, you know, <laughs> if yeah. we stepped out of the comfort zone a little bit and actually came up with our own characters, this might actually work. Mm -hmm. So we did. Yep. I mean, that's basically, and this was around um, 2012, I think, 2011. Yeah, yeah, 2012 was when we got our first Dream Spinner uh, Daily Dose, the June Daily Dose published. Um, but yeah, I mean, first we started writing alternate universe in the in the canon to kind of fix the situation. Then we started taking them out of the canon and putting them, you know, like on the ice skating. And then we had uh, one that was uh, set on a reality show. I mean, we were taking them <laughs> further and further away from the original source material and then you know, we had that conversation. It's like, well, why don't we just write our own thing? And it took a little bit for us to get to that point because, and and <laughs> the funny thing is, we were saying, oh, but if we have to come up with our own plots and our own characters every time, boy, that's going to be hard. And how many, how many plots did you say we have on our bunny list now? A hundred. <laughs> wow, <Yeah>. goodness. <laughs> yes, we have a, we keep, we use some, um, we use Google Drive for writing, and we use uh, OneNote for notes and for our plot bunny list and all our miscellaneous stuff. And we have an ongoing plot bunny list. So uh, that fear was unfounded. Yes. <laughs> the voices never shut up. <laughs> no. They do not. Can you, say, can you say what ship you were writing in? Sure. Uh, I yeah. mean, not... Unknown. Um, we were writing uh, Severus and Remus in uh, Harry Potter. Mm. So Snape Lupin was our our ship. And uh, so. so, what's your process from going from plot bunny to finished work? You, you I, I've heard you know talk about as we were talking about these two books that you one of you takes one character, one of you takes the other. But what's your overall process mm -hmm. to? To, to pull all the way through to a finished manuscript. Let's see. Um, well, it well, kind of depends on what we're doing. If it's yeah. for, a, for a publication call or if it's just something that we're writing just because. Um, you know, for a publication call, like, say, writing for, for Dream Spinner, you know, especially in the, the Dream Spun lines or something where there's a fixed word count that we have to meet, it takes a little more plotting because you have to make sure that you're going to be able to resolve all the issues within the, the specified word count. But I would say the vast majority of our stuff, we just get an idea and start writing it. I yeah. Mean, we, 
develop. We do have some, yeah, we do have some planning. Uh, we basically, since we don't live anywhere near each other, um, our two main tools for writing um, are chat and Google Drive. So we'll have chat up and we're talking and, you know, oh, oh, I've got this bunny. Oh, okay, what is it? And uh, blah, 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 you know, tell all about the bunny. And then we start thinking about characters for the bunny. And then, you know, somebody might pop up and start talking to one of us right away. Um, and sometimes we might have to talk a lot about them, you know, kind of develop them a little more before we decide who writes which main character. Um, and we do sort of a, a loose outline. We get a, a vague idea of what we want to accomplish with the story. Um, the beats we want to hit, um, that does tend to get a little tighter if we're working for a specific line like um, Dreamspun or one of the June or December Daily Dose stories, which is even tighter word count wise. Um, and uh, then, you know, when we feel like we've got a handle on it, then we open up a Google Doc and uh, we figure out, okay, which we alternate um, POV by chapter. And so we decide, all right, who's going to what, what makes sense in terms of starting off? Who needs to talk first? And so we establish who needs to start, where we're going to start, and then we just dive in. And then the next chapter, we'll go to the other main character and, and so on. And so we just back and forth. And then once we've got a, a rough draft, we'll kind of let it sit for a little while. And then um, I will look at it, and then she'll turn it over to me because I'm the English teacher, so I'm the editor. Um, and then... We send it off. Yeah, we do divide up certain things as well. Um, I'm a bit more comfortable writing action than uh, McKay is. Amen. And <laughs> so if uh, if there's a fight to be written or a battle or something like that, I guess because like, I mean, we both play Dungeons and Dragons. That's another thing that we both have in common. But I actually was a DM, so. I'm actually, you know, used to actually choreographing battles, including, you know, major battles and stuff. So And and plus you like um like hard military sci-fi more than I do. Oh, I read a lot of hard I I I'm a guy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of what I, I read is very guy like stuff because I do love hard military science fiction. It's just one of my things. And uh and action adventure and you know, you know, so so I'm very comfortable working in that kind of genre because I've read so much of it and, of course, been a dungeon master and, and stuff like that. And I work with a lot of military guys, so I <laughs> I hear a lot of this stuff, you know, firsthand. There's actually been a few things that have, have made it into to stories that I'm sure the guys who told me what, what had happened on the battlefield would be a little surprised to find <laughs> in us. <laughs> And the kind of books that uh, we write, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I mean, we switch it up all the time, um, not within a book, but so for instance, uh, McKay wrote Bo Walker and I wrote Liam Walker. So even, you know, they're, you know, two guys, two cousins in the same family. We, you know, we kind of, you know, tend to, to divide it just like whoever's talking to one of us more. And it's like, oh, okay, that character's talking to you. That's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go with it. Is that how you decide to do projects as well? Is if if a particular plot bunny, um, could you guys write in like pretty diverse genres? Um, is, is it really just a case of a particular plot bunny kind of jumping out and taking hold of your imagination? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there have been a, a lot of uh, examples of that happening. Um, the first Walker Boys story did that uh, we had a, a really strong buddy um uh the first herx mark book oh my god god paid <laughs> thornton latched on to ari and did not let go until we started <laughs> producing words for him and um so yeah and there was another uh couple in the the third herx marks book um uh, Daryl and Emerson, man, those two, those two, are, two are still talking to us. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, they they managed to get into every Herx book just because they won't shut up. <laughs> they were that vocal. 
Yes, they get a little cameo in, in most of the books. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's like with like the first Herx Burks book, the, the character basically, it was like, I imagine it was like when, when Venus sprung from the forehead of Zeus fully formed, right? It was like <laughs> this character, I mean, literally, I, I it just like, it was like a, a bolt from the blue, this character, his personality, his entire history, what he wanted to do, what he was like, just was there. And it was like, oh, my God, we've got to write this. And McKay's like, uh. Because uh, <laughs> that was the way she pitched it. You know, it was it was very much not my thing. You know, it, it, oh, I, it's not a yeah, it's not a genre that I'm familiar with that I was comfortable with. And I was like, eh, OK, put it on the list. And I was prepared to just let it sit there on the list for <laughs> forever. <laughs> But, you know, she kept saying, okay, I've got the, here's this, and we kept coming back to it, and so finally I was just like, okay, fine, let's just, let's write. Obviously, this is talking to you, so if if you can guide me through this, because I am out completely out of my comfort zone with this, if you can guide me through it, then, yeah, we'll do it. And so a, a multi-book series was formed. <laughs> Yeah, those have been those have been our best sellers actually. The Herx Merx books. We've sold more of those than of anything else. And it you know, it was just from one of those things that the I guess the character came in and bopped me over the head and said, mm -hmm. Hey, you, write me. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty cool. What's on your release calendar for the rest of the year? I have a list. So, <laughs> <laughs> so July fifth is a re-release by Dream Spinner of um, Santa's Naughty Helper, which was a Christmas story that we wrote. Wow, that was one of our first ones. It was a while. Yes, it was. And I want to say like 2013, maybe. Yeah, so that was that was several years ago, and um, that one is is fun. We had a we had a, a ton of fun writing that one. It didn't get. Um, it didn't get twiddled too much in uh, in the re-release. And then August 1st is Out of the Ashes, which is a dream spun beyond. And oh, fabulous. You're doing a beyond. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. In fact, it theoretically is a trilogy um, or three stories, three connected stories. Um, and, well, oh, to go back to Santa's Naughty Helper, that's actually uh, book one of Lawyers in Love. And in November... Book two of Lawyers in Love, which is also a re-release, um, it's Fortune Slings and Cupid's Arrows is coming now, out. That one did get an extensive overhaul because we were looking oh. at that one and going, ooh, we made some mistakes. Um, so that one has been overhauled pretty significantly. It's, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like a whole new story, but it is very different from the original version and for december we're hoping to have something for the the dream spinner anthology so what's the best way for all of our listeners to keep up with all of these projects you've got going on where are you online ariemckay.com and uh we have twitter and facebook i think you're a little more active on facebook yes yes i'm i'm the facebook person that's besides everything is like mckay and i <laughs> so, Yes. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of the, the blog posts and keeping the website updated. And one of my goals for the summer is to start putting out a monthly author newsletter. Um, it's something that I've been wanting to do, um, but I just haven't had the time. But now that we're kind of easing into summer, that's one of my goals is to um, get a, a monthly newsletter going for us. Yeah, our, our comfort zone is we like to have one release coming out every month if we can. Which, when we're when we're both available, is entirely doable. <laughs> yes, um, and that's even writing, you know, not just novellas but novels. So, I think that I think our productivity will go up quite a bit in 2018. Mm -hmm. So we're we're both looking forward to that a lot. Nice. Yes. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us. It's been great, and I know we're looking very forward to reading Breaking Bonds and then seeing what else you guys get out this year. Great. Thank you very much. We really loved being here. Yes. In Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams, Jordan Monroe travels to Mackinac Island for the Somewhere in Time fan celebration weekend. Once there, he becomes attracted to local stable owner Miles Coulter. 
When Jordan learns the stable's in trouble, he wants to help despite Miles' resistance. As their relationship grows, he dreads the issues that face them. Can they forge a love as timeless as the romance in their favorite film? Find out in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams. Available from DreamSpinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. So we had a great time talking with Ari McKay. So much so, in fact, that we've got 10 minutes of bonus episode material for you. Go to the show notes for episode 86 and you will find the bonus video there with about another extra 10 minutes of content where we talk more about their self-publishing journey and some more of what's coming up later. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So coming up in next week, we have Pat Henshaw and she joins us to talk about her latest in the Foothill Pride series, Frank at Park. So we hope you will join us then. Until next time, everyone, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 